Can I talk about 24 frames really quick? Yeah. Because I'm just holding on to this. Um, should yes. I talk about it like I'm going to put this in the episode? We, we should always be talking <laughs> like this is going to go in the episode. Cause Why wouldn't it go You're going to strike gold. You're right. So gold, the, Jerry. The legend of Curly's gold. The what? Isn't that City Slickers too? Oh, I haven't seen that movie. Wow. It was a big play in my household, but like from before I can remember. I was always more interested in the push-ups on the Oscar stage. Yeah. Daniel, you keep folding up the pretzels. That's not me. I didn't do that. I didn't do that either. <gasps> a ghost. We have a ghost. Oh, yeah. Touch the pretzel bag. Yeah. And... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait. <laughs> People are going to think we're stupid. <laughs> I'm going to cut that into the middle of the episode so, so that new, if any new listeners find us on the, the Zama episode, <laughs> that's not the first thing they hear. We can always do that again later. That's I just want to say at the top here that I'm going to be coughing. Cough mm-hmm. away from the mic. I'm going to cough away from the mic, but I feel like how Zama feels in the second act of the movie. Oh. When he's in Hopeless, the, deflated, when, pitiful. When he's in the inn, just like shitting himself. <laughs> that's me. Uh, Brandon, Brandon, I guess I just have one question for you then. Do you want to live? No. Do you want to live? Okay, moving on. Ben, tell us about 24 Frames. Um, so last night I saw Abbas Karastami's final film, 24 Frames, which is just... And is What's the series? Is it a film festival or is it a... It's um, contemporary Iranian cinema. Contemporary Iranian cinema from the. I'm gonna get the name wrong. There is a foundation that promotes Iranian art, and it is a specifically non-political, non-ideological organization that promotes Iranian culture mm. in LA. So it sounds like they, they have three faces, <laughs> much like the Jafar Panahi yes. film that just premiered at Great. the Quavet. Nice. nice. Quavet. Um, Speaking of the Quavet, can, just yeah. sidebar, 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 Ooh, sidebar. To a the sidebar, sidebar to the Quavet. Critics Week, the Kazan. Director's um, Fortnite. Was anyone expecting the Von Trier to be good? No. Oh, wait, can I go off? Yeah. I want to go off. I do not understand how you can read this premise of a portrait of a serial killer from La- a killer of women and children by Lars von Trier and think, oh, this is high cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never seen a Gaspar Noé film, so I can't really comment on that. But I, it makes me sick to my stomach, this idea that, like, violence against women and chauvinism and, 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 and um, just, like, aggressive violence in general by these, like, enfant terrible, like, directors, that that is somehow, like, highbrow because it's transgressive and, like, this is emblematic of how visceral human nature can be. It makes me sick. I just don't understand how this is a surprise at all. It's just... That the film is apparently really uh, gross and uh, vomit-inducing. It's just... It reminds me of Antichrist, which I found to be woman-hating garbage, but a lot of people do like that movie a lot. But that... in, In premise, though, like, it's not... My whole point is, like... In premise alone for this movie, it sounds revolting. Yeah. And obviously you can't judge a book by its cover 
But with Lars von Trier, you have an idea of what you're going yeah, to get. Right. Yeah. And I just, it really turns my stomach, the idea that, um, and, and I, by the way, I was all for Lars von Trier coming back to Cannes. Um, like, I think the slap on the wrist was appropriate. I think his comments were, obviously he was trying to make a joke, but like ill-advised and inappropriate on a number of levels. But... I totally think they should have... Like, he, he should be allowed to come back to the festival. Right. But that it's this? Like, I just... It just drives me crazy. I didn't realize what it was. Like, I had heard the title, but I didn't know especially what it was now. about. Now. Yeah, now, yeah it, de- it definitely has that, especially, like, why now? Like, it's not the time now for that type of movie. Yeah. Or maybe ever. I mean, none of us have seen it, but... I just don't care to see it. Yeah. That's all. And I don't I'm, care to see it. I'm surprised Climax, speaking of the other the other guy, mm-hmm. I'm surprised Climax is getting good reviews. Well, Have you know, you some people like Inner the Void and either. Irreversible. I have seen any of his movies. No. So. I, I was yeah. surprised that A24 picked it up, but... They're pretty lit on having picked it up. I mean, they, they love... The, I mean, Spring Breakers was A24, and, and they really milked every provocative bit of poison out they of that said movie it's their its first foray campaign. into international cinema is that mm-hmm. like it must be they've i think never, that's accurate they've never done something with subtitles what about that? C'est vrai. what about the one about like the guy in like the prison in a different country a prophet no was that an a24 movie i don't think the so. really brutal like mma you... in oh. a prison did uh. that not was that just scottish it didn't have subtitles Oh, 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 you're talking about uh, 72, 74, whatever it is, with Jack O'Connell. No, that's not... No, 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 no. Yeah, prison. isn't that a prison movie? Mm-mm. What's the one with him and Ben Mendelsohn? That's the one you're talking about, right? No, it has a name like God of the... God. God, God of punish. God of... I don't know. Anyway, this is the... God of tour. I don't know why I brought it up. But anyway, um, I just wanted to bring up Lars von Trier for a minute. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Can't wait to reveal the gag as we <laughs> go on. So Ben, Clinkin you saw a oh. gentle life affirming film. Yes. I mean you can't even call it that. It's just oh. I haven't seen it. It's an experiment. It's not Isn't it? Um like picked... inspired from paintings. Yeah, it's like... just the paintings. Oh. It's twenty four images that he took and imagined what happens for like four to five minutes before and after this does he is it through narration that he nope there's no dialogue you just see the action you see within the, the image, frame action happens we fade out oh action happens in the frame yes oh, things neat. move it's like visual effects and then it fades out and then it says frame two <laughs> and oh, that sounds gentle and life affirming it was that it was like quite trance-like as an experience mm-hmm. but my my thing is sounds like Chantal ackerman who like four people did this Who's leaving at frame 19? <laughs> like, you may... Because you know the structure. You know what the movie is. Wait, you only got five left. Like, why? Where, do you, where are you going? Put <laughs> it all this time. Yeah. <laughs> like, Wait. Like, a handful of groups left, like, really quickly. Like, they realized, oh, this oh. is not a narrative film. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend my night. They're like, I got to sure. get out of here. Where is the friend's house? Yes. Yeah. So, I'm going fine. There. Okay. Jeez, sounds like there was as many walkouts as the Lars von Trier. Yeah. Oh, sounds like <laughs> it. Wow. And the they're probably fin- walking over to the Cannes Film Festival to see the Brutal movie. <laughs> the final frame Not enough chopping was in this scored film. No edits. Andrew Lloyd no Webber. <laughs> what? Hmm. It is the final <laughs> sound 
in one of his movies ever. Really? Is the titular song from the Phantom of the Opera sequel, Love Never Dies. No. Oh, I thought that was a joke Never tweet. Dies. No! That's what it is! <laughs> That's what plays over the end credits. Oh, I thought you were just kidding. Love no. Never Dies has its fans. And I guess Abbas Kiarostami was one of them. He must have been. I love that. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Love doesn't die. So did you... Was this, the, was this the first or second screening of the film? Second. Ah, bummer. Okay. Well, it's over. I'll see it at some point. You missed it, bitch. What is my computer we'll, I'm doing? I'm sure it will be available. It's fine. I'm sure it will be more entertaining. Is Let the Sunshine In available on VOD? It's, um, it's only like cable VOD. It's not on any like internet only VOD. You know what I mean? Like well, it's not on that Amazon. Bullshit? It's not on iTunes. It's just on like you can go into your cable and rent it for five dollars. So I missed it. Uh, is it not playing I mean, in it, any movie theaters? I think it's still it, at the Limla. So. Yeah, in I think it Pasadena. is still at the Royale. Oh. And yeah. it'll be on iTunes eventually. Limley Royale. You know. Yeah. Love the. Oh, it is at the Limley Royale. All right. Anyway, sorry. Just thinking about films. Right. I, I guess seen. in this case. No, God. I had already started saying this. So I guess in this case, you will be royals. Not never. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Lord. Lord just like, her ears just like burnt. She was like, ah! She's like, I I just like, I may have run over a dog or I may have just run over Lord right now. By oh. by saying Do that, you, at oh. least you didn't run over a horse, yeah. right? Oh, and speaking oh. of, uh, <gasps> everyone, now we know the answer. Welcome! Oh my God! To why the We've woman didn't it. get out of the car? Why? Like, she because she, she was the headless woman. She was the headless woman. <gasps> <laughs> she also doesn't get out of the car. Oh my fucking God! Everyone, Andrew, welcome. Hey, isn't he? Is a Lucretia fan? Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Horses IMO. We have solved the, f- the from the first episode of Horses IMO. We put forward a central question that we wanted to answer, mm-hmm. which we didn't is want to, but we knew that you get more listens when you're a murder mystery. Exactly. So, yeah. Brandon, what was that central question we were trying to answer? The question was when the titular horse of Lean on Pete, Lean on Pete, gets brutally Side-swiped. run over by. A passing vehicle in the dead of night. The woman doesn't get out. Charlie is weeping for a full (laughs) 25 minutes. And the woman does not get out of her car. And we ask, why? Because she is indicative of the Argentine bourgeoisie. (laughs) And their apathy. And how she is also a prisoner of masculinity in her own privileged environment. She Welcome. Was, she was answering her cell phone. Welcome. <laughs> she, she has stuff to do. To she, another episode of Horses IMO. My name is Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben MB. Continue. Hello. I just wanted to go ahead and get that out of the way. Well, let's then say we're going to solve the mystery tonight. Well, we, Reiterate. Ju- we just solved the mystery. And when, when we talk about the headless woman on, on down the line, I'm sure we will dig into the central question more. You know, it, it has been a fun v- pun very much intended. Pun very much intended. This has been a really fun ride on Horses IMO. Nice. This we is have, the final episode of Horses IMO. This is the final IMO. episode of Horses IMO. How we, many have there been? Three? Three. We discussed <laughs> Lean on Pete. We discussed the rider. Each of us gets to be a horse. I'm the horse in Sama that Vicuña 
<laughs> Sleeps on. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. Okay, okay, I'm the horse in Zama who looks at Zama with disgust. Mm. Can, I be, the, the can I be the horse that gets shoved off the raft in Agire? <laughs> the wrath of God. That's the saddest scene in the I'm the horse just film. like looking off from the side in the woods. Agire, the wrath of God, has a lot of things. It is kind of a stalker movie in a way, but the stalker monkeys is. Or, I'm sorry, it, it is a slasher movie in a way. The chittering monkeys. The slasher the chittering is monkeys. the jungle, and like everyone has their turn to die and then yeah. Aguirre is the last man standing but the horse is one of the many victims but the monkeys nature. are the last it's very one. that's lost exactly well, the they're nature they're, the chittering monkeys, monkeys are nature it's are very monkeys. lost city of zed oh yeah, yeah. so is oh, zama oh yeah so is zama speaking of zama this is another episode of horses imo zama. my name is daniel crook zama. you already did that i know i thought maybe we'd do it again no it's too late tonight we are <laughs> discussing the new film by the Argentinian auteur Lucrecia Martel. The film is called Zama. 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 We had a few Zama Zorners. Yeah. Only in in Horses IMO. Yeah. So it was leading up to the finale. Mm-hmm. Daniel, explain the bit. Why are we doing these sound effects for this episode? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. We're not doing any sound effects. I mean, this is... I, I don't mean to not this, say yes and, but this is just, these are the swirling sounds of Ben's apartment. And something that Lucrecia Martel does better than any other filmmaker is that she uh, captures the texture of sound in an environment and the suffocating qualities of it, the mm. all-encompassing qualities of the sounds in the environment, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm. 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 Brandon and I in the corner like... <laughs> Why don't y'all do... Someone's bumper sticker said, Boss Baby on board. <gasps> oh my god. Mm. Was it Tiffany? <laughs> I have one thing Yeah, we have one thing to say to that, which is... Mm. <coughs> Tonight we are talking about Zama. This is the newest film by Lucrecia Martel. <laughs> you said this eight times. It's like when Zama I'm hears... Trying to d- I'm trying oh, to do... Oh, it's a bit. All right, it's a bit. All right. Are you crazy yet? <laughs> do you have the sound mixing abilities to make it, like, fade out and all weird? You know what I would What's love that is sound that happens. It's just like a oh the drone, yeah. <laughs> and the little kid, the 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 like I think of him as like a little prince. He gets <laughs> off the ship and then he sits in a chair and then someone puts that chair on their back <laughs> and then while he and while he ends up yeah just in the background yes like, it's, hello well, <laughs> but and then like he and Zama make eye contact and the kid's like. Not into him. <laughs> but the guy who brought him to uh, Paraguay was like, told him all about Zama. And so the kid recites Zama's biography back to him. <laughs> but it's almost a taunt. Like they're walking yeah. back to the city and the kid is on the back. He's on this chair on the back of a man's back. And he's like locked eyes with Zama. And they're both like hiking through the hills. And he's just like, you're a bureaucrat. You've been here forever. <laughs> This is your life. It's almost everyone respects you, and yet no one really respects you. Like you've been here so long, you have a reputation, but that's not a good thing. The second time I watched it, I almost thought that moment could be like in Zama's imagination. Yeah, he's imagining it. it, it it's absolutely good. good. I think you can yeah. read it both ways. And the fact that they're, I bring it up because there is that it ends with a cut of like drone. to the old man being carried, and mm-hmm. there's an implication maybe there is no child. Yeah. Yeah, because then we hear the kid dies, but we don't actually see the kid. Yeah. And there are just a lot of implications that there are dead boys everywhere in this movie. Well, I mean, La Cienega has the ultimate cut of, did they just shoot that boy? 
when the when the kids are remember. playing i didn't get a chance to rewatch it i thought you oh it doesn't matter so there's a an amazing cut i've seen it no i know i know that i know that there's an amazing cut in la cienega so all the kids are like up in the mountains and they remember that there's like that dead cow that's like in the marsh oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah, the yeah. boys are sort of fascinated by it yeah and they all go up there with their rifles oh we'll talk yeah, about the yeah, weaponry yeah, yeah, those yeah, children yeah, yeah. are bearing later on and uh, Lucci, the youngest boy of the like the cousins family, he goes up to like touch the cow, and all the other boys like have their rifles pointed at the cow, and they're like, "Lucci, get out of there!" And then like he like turns around and like kind of refuses to go. And there's this incredible tension, and then we cut to a extreme wide uh like above the trees of the full environment and then we hear like gunshots mm-hmm. and then we just cut back to mercedes moran and the other woman just like drinking wine and talking in the bedroom and you don't know until the like the cousin packs up her family in the car to leave and Lucci like shows up at the station wagon you don't know that he did get shot in the head yeah god yeah that reminds me of the gunshots and holy girl Mm. too you know yeah like i thought someone was gonna get shot when they were just like running around and i'm like oh my god this suddenly became like highly suspenseful yes Yes. i thought someone was gonna get fucking shot oh i love the holy there's um yeah can't wait to talk about the holy girl can't wait to talk more about so much to talk about can't wait to talk more about the headless woman so much welcome to another episode of horses (laughs) imo Tonight we are discussing the new film by the argentinian uh auteur you're making me go crazy the film is called zama Film's called Zama. <laughs> Film's called Zama. Zama debuted at the Venice Film Festival last year. <laughs> that was me leaving. Out of competition, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Out of competition. Or as I explained it to a friend, Zama is the new film by Chilean <laughs> filmmaker <laughs> Lucrecia Martel, and it debuted at Cannes last year. <laughs> Neither of those things are all correct. Your, all your facts are wrong. Yep. Is... <laughs> As a former employee of the distributor, I should know this, but is it eligible for the foreign? Was, I believe it was, it was put out. It was eligible last, last year, which is and it didn't fucked. make the short list. Uh, but I mean, like this movie doesn't. This movie fucks. This movie fucks. <laughs> this movie certainly. But fucks. this movie fucks. Unlike Zama, this does movie not fuck. fucks yeah. you so obtusely, mysteriously, transgressively that it's not really until you're dreaming that night. No, no, it's not until you wake up the next morning that you're like. Oh, I got fucked. Mm-hmm. Like it. That's how I felt after we saw it. At- Zama could say faggot. Zama can say faggot. And by Certainly. the way, Lucrecia Martel can say faggot. Mm-hmm. Mira, faggot. Mira, <laughs> look, faggot. Look, faggot. <laughs> Heard us Glado. this whole podcast. Glado. <laughs> we are. Um, yeah, I think we should need to get that part off of our chest. Oh, that, the, the the description. Lu- of the the, the, decla- the disclaimer about Lucrecia. That Lucrecia oh, would, I'll get it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go and start now. Everything I'll we're st- saying. Yeah, I'll go and start it now. So we all had the good fortune of attending Zama's Los Angeles premiere, and then Ben and I were lucky enough to go see The Holy Girl the next day. This is at the Billy Wilder Theater uh, at the Hammer, and Lucrecia was in attendance. And she did two legendary Q&As afterwards where she performed magic, she spoke philosophy, mm-hmm. she shut some people up, and she gave some surprising she- answers. Shut all of the translators down. Mm-hmm. She also discussed in length why Pretty Woman is a great film. Yep, and why I love that. And, and on a similar strata to why her film, like where her films exist. Yeah, the the idea of omnipresence or like a narrator's. Guy. Anyway, we'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk about the films. 
There is nothing we are going to say on the microphone tonight that Lucrecia Martel would nod her head at. Yeah. Everything we are going to say tonight would get a finger point in our face, cut off mid-sentence with a one, two, three, mira. 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 <laughs> so, just putting out a disclaimer ahead of time, we don't, you know, we we know that next to her, we are small-minded. We are, we are puny. Little the excuses. The shocked me about thought. the... Uh, Q&A was that like every crazy question she got asked it was like this may not have applied in the movie but I thought about it and I have an answer for you that's better than what you ever thought she's thought about every <laughs> angle of the you know yeah. of the idea of the film yep. so Zama is a colonialist purgatory nightmare hangover call it whatever you want I'm sure we'll give it some more names as we go on we follow in the 18th century, Don Diego de Zama, who is a bureaucrat working for the Spanish crown. Funcionario. Uh, oh, yeah. Fun- funcionario. And then... Uh, What's the other word? Con... 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 Something like that. Yeah. I forget. But yes. Let's not go down that road. Uh, he is a mid-level bureaucrat. Who has been at this He's output? A mid-level creative exec at Warner Brothers Studios. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that. There's multiple reads on the film. What does it all mean? He is a mid-level bureaucrat at a Spanish outpost in Paraguay. This is in the midst of South America being colonized. If y'all haven't read uh, Eduardo Galeano's um, uh, amazing text on like how Latin America was, I can't read. Please oh, stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm so rude. It no. is rude, and I really need to check my eyesight. I need to check my privilege. literacy. All of your privilege. Yeah. I'd be happy to sound it out to you, but it's called Open Veins of Latin America, and it is all about how mostly Latin America, but also South America, was just like completely raped and pillaged by Europe, and mm-hmm. uh, and how that has had lasting uh, reverberations through five generations of South American and Latin American life. We're going to talk about that through the lens of Lucrecia Martel cinema as we go on. Oh, anyway, wow. Don Diego de Zama. As an illiterate, I'm excited. Don Diego de Zama <laughs> spends all his days stamping pieces of paper, hearing cases, reporting to the governor. He's a little bit sick of it. He's, He's kind of stuck. sick of it. If this was like a Hollywood movie in the 90s, the trailer would go... Diego Zama feels stuck. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's so true. Can Diego Zama it? is <laughs> caught between two bosses, himself and the crown. Don Diego de Zama wants to take a trip permanently. Wants to take a vacation permanently. Thursdays on NBC. Don Diego de Zama wants to get laid. The ladies won't have it. Don Diego de Zama wants to move to Salta. Governor's not having it. Don Diego de Zama to doesn't want to make Excuse you. Oh, my bad. My it's bad. It's not called Salta in the 1700s. That's my bad. It's my bad. Lama. It's certainly not Buenos Aires. No. Don Diego de Zama can't get laid. Don Diego de Zama can't get his shit done. Don Diego de Zama punches the clock, works hard every day, serves the crown, and can't get no respect. What's the show called? Not Zama. Z. It'd be called... Don Diego. Diego's Inferno. <laughs> yes. So, basically, I mean, we'll talk about all of Martel's films are highly experiential. They're sensory experiences. This film does have a pretty strong narrative, especially watching it a second time. But basically, we follow Don Diego de Zama as he struggles to get a transfer 
from his outpost in Paraguay in vain. He is meeting all sorts of opposition. What do you mean there will be a second letter? (laughs) That's probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. What do you mean? (laughs) Well... (laughs) Or, or just like... He'll, he'll decide later. <laughs> there, there's the pregnant pause between Zama being like, so, you know, have you written the letter? Uh-huh. And then we are like on Zama's face and we're seeing like the back of the governor's head in, uh-huh. in the foreground of the frame. And then we just hear the governor go, what letter? <laughs> so it doesn't good. get any better than that. It's so good. So is that an appropriate... Is that enough of a synopsis? Can we just talk about the film? Yeah. Great. He's trying to move and he can't. He is essentially. stuck. He's stuck. Like every... Lucrecia Martel protagonist. Like every human being on the planet who He's doesn't not- have extreme power. Yeah. Like if you, if you aren't the if you are not um, the big boss, El Jefe Grande, the big baby. Boss none baby. of your big there is nothing baby. nothing in your life that you have any control over. Wow. That's wow. True. There's <gasps> like for me, it's all summed up in the scene where Zama wakes up and. He's still, like, in his royal quarters at this point, like, his his fanciest apartment. And I didn't notice this detail in the second half, but he has, like, a door propped up. Or, I'm sorry, not a door, a chair, like, propped up against the door. You right. know how people, like, try and lock doors? Uh-huh. So, a native who's working for the crown just walks right in. Mm-hmm. That lock on the door is not doing a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, you, like, need to get up and get your shit together. The governor is inspecting everybody's apartments to make sure they're clean. Mm-hmm. And so then Zama starts, like, picking up all his dirty dishes. Oh, yeah, But then yeah, he yeah, goes yeah. out and he realizes all his furniture has been laid bare, like, <laughs> yeah. on the lawn. Yep. And he realizes, like, nothing belongs to him. Mm-hmm. Nothing belongs... Not, not his belongings not his agency not his home mm-hmm. it all belongs to someone else and they have yep. full power to do with it what they want he is mm-hmm. completely rudderless and without agency mm-hmm. it's hilarious because yeah. then the one guy like the guy who wrote the book is he's like can you like just grab my stuff yeah and the guy's like well what's yours and one of the things zama says is like the two shelves that have my name on it <laughs> like they the furniture has his mm-hmm. name on it and it's still not his uh, the underwear, the, the weird like, the weird like loincloth yes. he has. It says Diego Z <laughs> in the back, but it does not belong to him. That's so sad. Anyway, this movie is about pain, mm. and it's the pain of being able to see that it's all bullshit, mm. and you don't. But you're not rich, so what can you do about it? I'm gonna do for no. you what no one did for me. I'm saying no to your hopes. It's so fucking dark. I love it. It's also hilarious. It, it really is a dark comedy. I love it. Yeah, I, I am the llama. Oh, oh, the llama. Why don't we talk? Why don't we talk about the llama real quick? Let's jump into the llama since we have the titular llama. The, the titular llama. We have the llama llama here on the table. Hello. Hello. Hi, llama. So, tell us about your role in the film. Well. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a voice for the llama I can't. Paul End. Oh, <laughs> I'm not ready to do my Paul End impression. Well, when right Lucretia got me on the horn, <laughs> Lucretia got me on the horn. I said I haven't worked in ten years. And, you know, she just wanted me in the background, but I said, oh no. I said, give me a stable with half a bale of hay and a quart of Xanax, and I'll be fine. I just love that this. Is- 
the Zamalama walks right the fuck up. At the perfect moment, too. And it was completely unstaged. I doubt that's true. Center you- takes the square. <laughs> By square, I mean Don Diego de Zama. Because he you- is a square. Do you think it was stage square i think that the llama is there at the right place at the right time and i'm that's all it is you know i do think it is a directorial i'm sure that the llama just happened to be there at first but i think it was directed she was like, yeah yeah well it's just like you can talk me that have that llama come it's up. so uh, <laughs> it's such an important scene that's going on between zama and the governor this is really the first time the governor says no mm-hmm. to zama about the transfer. I believe it's a scene where... So Zama has gotten frustrated. We will talk about his identity issues later. Zama gets frustrated with a guy who works beneath him and strangles him. <laughs> and then, like, lets go before he dies. But they have an altercation. And because Zama outranks that guy, they transferred him instead of right. Zama. And so the governor is telling him, like... No, we had to get rid of him because you're more important. Yep. And he requested a transfer to the place you want to go. Yeah. And when this is happening and it's all like in close up on Zama, or, you know, it's it's a mid cl- or medium mm-hmm. close up on Zama's face. There's a llama in the background that just like walks in the frame, like sort of like dances around his face. It's hard not to interpret the llama's dance as some sort of like, it's attached to his expectations and his subconscious. Yeah. It's like... He's not going to get what he wants. And the, like, the llama moving out in the frame sort of illustrates like his whole thought process to me of like realizing not only am I not getting what I want, but the guy that I tried mm. to kill because he called me filth, he's getting what I want instead. Like it's like I dread. And, yeah. Can I say what I think the llama yeah. means to me? Mm-hmm. Yes. That it's about, it shows us how fucking stupid capitalism is mm-hmm. because it is a very important scene and you have this like really stupid thing in the background like taking up all of the attention and it like gives it just shows how absurd everything that Zama's going through it is. undercuts yeah. his stakes completely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I like that I love too that. I think yeah. that's probably more um, I w- since you brought up this scene I would like to talk about the way that Zama is framed in the frame are we talking about where he is not in the center of the frame yeah love so, this Get your get your chalkboard ready. <laughs> when you nice when you learn cinematography is a, as a young faggot in film school, <laughs> you're told about the third lines mm-hmm. of the frame and things are in a relaxed position when they land on a third frame on one of the thirds and you are told the eye line is supposed to be at the top third correct Mm -hmm. every other character in this movie their eye light their eye line is on the third and Zama's eyes are right below the top of the frame. Even in the same shot sometimes. Yes. And his forehead is cut off and you see most of his chest. Yes. Which is so... It's hilarious. He's just yeah. so exposed mm-hmm. and, and he, it's yeah. so silly. And it's just like, it's just off enough for you to be like, huh. You different. notice it. That was yeah. one of the things that's that weird. stood out to me from the very beginning, the first time I saw it. But... Because, you know, when he's standing on the beach, like, mm-hmm. basically, the ocean completely overwhelms him in the frame. He's off to the side. Whatever the people are doing in the background of the shot looks much more fun than what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But as it goes on, what I found so striking and very funny is that even in shots that are about him, mm-hmm. if he's sharing the space with other characters, like Ben was saying, like, 
they get they either get the center of the frame or they get that third eye line. Yeah. It's just hilarious to me how he is con- consistently pushed out of his own movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so perfect. And it's and it's frustrating too for it's something for that him. she does in the headless woman too. Oh, the headless she, woman is oh all God. like that's weird like, like, that's next like, level. It's just like a shoulder. Yeah. That's next brain. level disorienting. Mm-hmm. That movie. Oh yes. my God. I mean, and that's so the headless so I saw La Cienega three or four years ago and that was my first Martel film and then I only and I have always loved that movie and so I've always really attached myself to her because the style is just like right out of the gate like Mm -hmm. even though she ends up doing slightly different things completely fully scraping chairs yeah I mean it really is those scraping chairs and the clinking glass like it's an announcement. Like, yeah. she's here to stay. So I've always loved her, but it's always been for that one film. So The Headless Woman was the second film of hers I saw, and I only caught up with it a couple months ago, or a month, no, like a month ago. And I was so disoriented by it. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I is in La Cienega. She's covering her scenes in a way that are completely singular, and I want to talk about that more later. But in The Headless Woman... The framing is just, it is so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And like Ben was saying, like, you just get a shoulder, Mm -hmm. you know? And that for me was when I realized that Martel has this interest in denying you the omnipresence of a filmmaker's invisible hand, Mm -hmm. of their beings. Like in Zama, there is certainly like a cosmic, uh, ironic force going on that is punishing him because that's just life. Yeah. But in The Headless Woman... She is denying you every opportunity to have something to hold on to. Yeah. And that's completely intentional, but it's also... um, Well, first, let me just say what I was going to say. Just Like, I love that at one point in The Headless Woman, she just dyes her hair Mm -hmm. from blonde to brown with no explanation whatsoever. Yeah, and you're forced to catch up. And you have to catch up to where she is. Like, Lucretia Martel refuses to hold your hand. And I don't think it's like a Godardian, like, fuck you. Yeah. I think it's like, I think she trusts her audience enough. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not that she trusts her audience to be smart enough. It's that she trusts her audience to actually let go of their preconceptions of what a, how a movie is supposed to speak. Yeah. How you're supposed to progress from a wide shot to a two shot to a close up to an mm-hmm. insert. She trusts you to be there in the scene and to have enough of an empathetic eye that you're going to follow her character's and obviously, you know, she's putting her camera in very specific places. She's conjuring these sort of like subliminal feelings in yeah. you. But it's not it's not a fuck you to the audience. It, it, it is actually she's putting a lot of trust in you, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just, I just like want 10 things at once. My letterbox review of The Headless Woman, which is this is just how I experience life. <laughs> That's like it's like relatable, though. Like when you just that asked, constant. When did you realize there oh, that there's no, no plot. plot. I didn't want to give you a real answer because I wanted to talk about it on the mic. Okay. And the answer is I didn't ever realize that there was no plot mm-hmm. because I'm I like I relate to that character so much. Yeah. And then I'm like I just I get everything that's happening. She's, yeah. She's confused. She's making up imaginary the plot scenarios. Is that like insane headspace you're put in? Yes, and the, like you're forced to just like the most terrifying moment jagged, in I the think. movie is when we get to the dentist's office and you realize she's the dentist. Yeah, the hygienist puts the coat on her, and you're like, oh no, she's going to operate the heavy machinery on some child right now. If she didn't run over a kid before, she's going to now. I was like, oh my god, Vero. <laughs> she did remind me of Donna Rollins. 
You're yes. right. Right. I see it. And not just in the hair. There's something about her uh, presence. The presence. I There's yeah. like a wild eye. I immediately her. thought of Jenna Rollins watching Headless Woman. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not just the hair. Oh, and the first shot of them in the looking in the the glass of the car, mm-hmm. which is a very Martell thing. Obviously, not in Zama. Oh yeah, I love when all of the ladies are getting into their cars and like getting their kids in there, and it's raining, and it's mm-hmm. just all of these really chaotic like swirling like but aggressive in a way mm-hmm. like the editing is very aggressive and all they're doing is getting into their cars and putting yeah. their kids in the car but it really captures the sense of disorder and the sense of stakes that are involved and in, like being a mother it feels just, like, very dangerous exactly every well, moment the headless woman is like constantly just like churning up to the incidents mm-hmm. like the repeated uh, uh, motif for lack of a better word of her driving down the road and just yeah. seeing action on the road and seeing those kids playing in the beginning and to mm-hmm. set you up to think one of them, one of them gonna is gonna go exactly over, yeah. yeah um and, but then once the incident happens, then, like, in a way, things quiet down, even though she only ratchets up the intensity more, but she does it through these very, like, jarring construction of disparate images mm-hmm. where she refuses to let you be on balance. Like, I think Martel is an exceptional subjective filmmaker. Yeah. And maybe never more so than in The Headless Woman, because I think it's her most pure character study even mm-hmm. though Zama is that two-bit design I mean both are examinations of environment of class yeah. of race of Argentinian society but Zama I think just feels so much more epic than the headless woman for a number of reasons right. maybe this is me pulling us back into Zama but on that level that the, 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 the canvas mm-hmm. um, is it, much larger is much larger in Zama, in Zama. It, like, it draws so I would say the headless woman is her most subjective of Latin film. America oh, in yeah. Zama in a way that the headless woman is doesn't just well, by the fact of the scope yes yeah. and I mean it's, it's, it's just much tighter tighter I mean both it's movies like 85 are tight. minutes yeah yeah it, it'll it's, cut, it's her shortest movie tighter yeah. tighter is the wrong word it's just very singularly focused yeah. on one very specific no it's it's sharp and, if you handle yeah. it in the wrong way it's gonna cut your hand like broken glass <clears throat> mm-hmm. the third can we talk about the third act of Zama which just like we sure can it ratchets that movie up to a whole like that's really what it becomes. I mean, it's already Level. a nightmare, but it's a it's a nightmare more in like dread and potential. I need to talk and, to her about like you need to have a well, conversation. Well, let's get Lucretia on the horn. I know, get her on the she horn. She can be our first phoned-in guest. I need to know about what they do in the the attack scene and like the red people. Yes, uh, there's something with. Either the shutter speed. Oh, or... I know what you're talking about. Like when they're when they're like yeah. popping up out of the grass. Yes. There is something so sudden about the movement. It's like frames have been removed. I think yes. that's right because there's a scene when I watched it today that really stood out. It's when Zama runs toward frame, and then all and of a sudden, and then all of a sudden he gets grabbed, yeah. and it feels. So, you're right. Yes, something about like, it feels very like something jerky yes. or almost yeah. but like very. If there's a choppiness to it. Whatever. Yeah, it reminds me of David Lynch's Twin Peaks: The Return in just like lo-fi special effects mm-hmm. and the way that they are more unsettling than what we've come accustomed to. I agree. Uh-huh. Well, and I I think they really get at the Twink s- Picks. Twink, twink picks. picks. The age of the Twink. The age, age of, of the, the Twink, twink Picks. picks. <laughs> I I do think that there is something about that ambush that is so. <laughs> So sudden Ooh. and unexpected. <laughs> Our listeners hate us. 
40 minutes in. They're, they're, she is able... She, <laughs> Just enjoying a delicious anchor steam. Whisper, whisper, whisper. <laughs> All right. All right, so that was it. That was the end of it. You ruined it. Wait, I want to ruin it. I want to quickly talk about that scene again because there's another shot where one of the I'm just gonna keep calling them the red people. Let's just call them. uh, Let's call them. Let's call them the tribe. The tribe. Great. The tribe people. Um, Just the tribe. The tribe. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the people. They what? The tribe. One one pops up. Like in the foreground, in the, in the foreground, and then there's another I was so one looking forward to it in the, the middle over moment. here, and then there's yeah. one in the back. It's just so perfectly and then they clubbed, and then they club their heads. No. It's yeah. it's very upsetting, and it's yeah. very sudden. And then once they get them in the room, and that same door just keeps oh. shutting over oh. and over and over. Yeah, I mean, it's so disturbing. They're cannibals, right? Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, speaking of stomach churning, that is such a hard sequence for me to watch. And partly because of what Brandon brings up, there's, like, this door that keeps opening and closing. And then, like, when it swings open, we just see, like, Zama and his other band of pirates, is what I'll call them. They're just, like, screaming and resisting, but they're getting pulled by the tribe, like, into this, we imagine, some sort of, like, death room or whatever. How do they get out? Because Vicuña Porto speaks the language and is able to sort of parlay an exit but the one guy who gets out clearly has had some part of his arm removed because he's Mm -hmm. got it all sutured up with moss Mm -hmm. and the arm is dead (laughs) and then later you know Vicuña Porto is like or one of his guys when he's sleeping on the horse they're like you know like the tigers are totally going to smell that dead arm and the way that tigers work is they don't eat dead meat but (laughs) they will eat us (laughs) yeah but I I love that he and Zama are literally dead meat <laughs> in that yes. sense. It's so great. It is so good. There's another moment in, in the end. Um, Brandon talks about Zama coming up in the frame during the ambush and then getting jerked back by one of these rope traps, one of these like switches. There's also this really terrible moment when the the dead meat man and Zama are standing in the water. They've got ropes all around their bodies because they're being held captive by Vicuña Porto and his band of merry thieves. And... He's the, coded as homosexual, by the way. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. I just want to throw that out yeah. there. Anyway, yeah. continue. He's got the wrists. But the the co the co-captive is like, look, Zama, I fucking hate your guts, but I have a great plan for how we're gonna get out of here. And then he just gets like pulled back because he's <laughs> yeah. rope is attached to a horse. And then he gets dragged through the water and drowns. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's so jarring. hopeless. And it's it's hopeless. Shot, it's cosmically it's, I was, like worried for the actor. Futile. <laughs> it's I, well, it is one shot. I thought I know what it is. I thought it because I was I I felt really scared for the actor too. I think he just had to like jump back. And then at that point, the horse starts moving and he's able to like... But there spin. are bubbles that come up from the rope. I just think that there's got to be like... Ooh, I think crazy. he just yeah. had control of it and was That's, able to yeah. like, get out of frame. Yeah, but I don't think he actually got pulled by the horse. I think that he did he jump. jump. Yeah, yeah, probably. But like, Jesus Christ, Lucrezia. Like, it's a scary scene. There's a lot of like hard cuts that are just V-jarring. Yeah. V-jarring. So I want to rewind. I want to do a little TNUC and I want to go back to the beginning of the film. Did you just call me a cunt? No, I, I put it in reverse, reverse. Did it, did it reverse, reverse. Right. I want to talk about how Lucrecia Martel sets up basically every tension of the film in before the credits and during the credits. Okay. Okay, so we will start with the first shot of the film. 
Zama, Love that shot. Zama the is poster. The poster of the film. Boom. Zama is... St- and actually, the poster does a great job of illustrating what's going on in his head. So the poster is Zama... I believe there's a sound of like, boom, when yeah. it opens. Like a... Oh, that, <laughs> can't do it. That wasn't oh. it. Like a... Like a pop? It's like a It's like a text sound. It's like a ding. It's... I can't remember what it is. I just watched it. Same. But there is a sound. Yesterday, it is... It is Sound there over black. There is a sound that begins the nice. film. Which is your favorite thing. Sound. I love sound. Sound. Lucrecia Martel says, you didn't just see a film, you just heard. heard a film. That's right. Sound is the most important thing about film. So, Correct. forget, I was going to go into a whole thing, and maybe I'll get back to it. But <laughs> let's You're talk talking about the opening. I know what I was talking about, but I. Wow. But maybe we'll talk about... Testy. No, but I'm losing my mind <sighs> in Paraguay. Because neither of you guys will let me do what I want to do. Be relatable. Well, no one no one has control. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Brandon's going to Laramie. Let's talk let's talk about sound. Going to send my letter. Let's just like we're we're almost an hour into this thing. I don't think we've actually introduced We're only forty five minutes in. But let's uh, but let's talk about hour. the sound a little bit. Okay. So when I we talk about the fish. I'm oh just no! I mean, the, that's one of the things I wanted to talk <laughs> the, about in the beginning—the the wiggling fish. Yes, because the, the kid says Zama. the kid very explicitly explains Zama's situation. This is what I was going to say. Yeah, about the fish, how the fish. What is it? The fish. So a certain type yeah. of fish there's, there's a cer- only stays in the shallow water. Yeah. The water doesn't want him. The water is actively trying to push, push. the fish out, yep. and yet the fish fights back in a way, right. and therefore stays exactly where it's began and right moves. and then we get the title yeah and then when we come back from the title we're just looking at the we're, back we're, of zama you know, we're watching the fish they're like they're bottom feeders they're in murky water and they're just going to and fro but all in this sort of claustrophobic space they're yeah. all in the same they're like they're going one way and then they're coming back the they're other in a really weird like wide fish lens yeah look. i mean it, it's a disturbing shot yes <laughs> i don't yeah. like looking at it yeah. and before we get to that he's Interacting Voyeur. with the, Voyeur. the indigenous women. We ended up doing exactly what I wanted to do. I know. I'm very on board. That's why I brought it back. Thank I did you. it. So the very first like human conflict in the film is he comes across a group of indigenous women. What would you say they're doing? They're putting mud on their mud bodies. Baths. Yeah, they're, they're cleaning their skin. It's they're exfoliating. Too, they're exfoliating with the mud. And, and Lola Duenas is with them, who plays the Treasury Secretary's wife. Mm-hmm. She has no problem with cavorting yeah. with the natives. She has no ego hang-ups. No. She doesn't feel like by associating with them, she is of a lesser status. By the way, this is like Argentinian culture to a T. Yeah. The idea of people trying so desperately to be European in order to not embrace... Europe is best remembered by the people who've never been there. Yes. She says later mm-hmm. in the film. You know who's never been there? Be Don Diego. It's true. Um, and the thing, what, what the women are talking about is, what does this word mean in this language? Mm-hmm. They're adjusting to colonialism mm-hmm. as they talk. And Don Diego Tesama is lying down, listening to them... Voyeur! And then someone yells, Voyeur! <laughs> but he's not watching them. He's just listening. He's just listening. But isn't listening and seeing? Why didn't you say that the same thing? What do you say? I think Lucrecia might. Lucrecia. Listening and seeing. 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 Watching. The same thing. And then. It's the type of attention. The best shot in the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he yeah. runs up the hill. 
and she, he gets the dragged, drags him, him back. Yeah. But then he slaps her. I mean, and, and then it's, it's not really funny anymore. Upsetting. It's yeah. no longer funny. All of a sudden, it's terrifying. But so it, we, we've set up this whole dynamic of mm-hmm. the colonialist and the native people, the impact he's having on them. Mm-hmm. And the dominance that he has over them, Mm -hmm. which is reinforced throughout the film. Like when he just like signs away 40 slaves at one point to a supposedly uh, noble family because they were one of the first conquerors of the land. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the guy he chokes is like, they had no papers. Like, what is wrong with you? And Zama's like, don't insult these people. Zama's like, like, don't you admire my benevolence? Yeah, Which but is in a very but the reason why trying to be a good white person thing to do right no, beca- well because Zama is native born mm-hmm. or at least one of his parents is native born right so that's like a whole tension in the film is and, and again so take a step back I've been to Buenos Aires to the best city in the world wow there is this All whole right. t- there's this whole tension between I mean, sort it's of not Marrakesh. Never where, been to Marrakesh. Where I've been. How is Marrakesh? It's the best city in the world. I hear it's lovely. It's wonderful. There is this sort of push and pull of South American culture and the appearance of Europe. Buenos Aires is often called like the Paris of South America. Mm-hmm. And you do see that in a lot of the architecture. And it's partly because <gasps> of the European. I just realized I can put Patti LuPone on this podcast because we're in Argentina. <gasps> we you- could, but... I'm going to, because <laughs> I, all right, because I'm in control, bitch. That's right. Do Patty Lapone arms. <laughs> I know y'all can't see this, but it's quite a sight to see. <laughs> ben, no. ben is on a balcony right now. Ben's microphone is and right Patty in front Lepone of his arms. face, which is very Evita. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Mm. So, all right. So I'll just like cut it short then. But basically, in all of her films, Lucrecia Martel is getting at the heart of this tension in Argentina in society and culture, the idea of the upper class pretending that they are better than folks with brown skin who are native to South America. She's a very political filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So in that scene, going back when... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Zama... Has ha- my brains. <laughs> Zama, has, Zama has granted Brandon is 40 Ill. slaves in domain to a land, to a family, because he is trying to be like the benevolent European like white leader. Mm-hmm. And he is called out by his uh, co-worker. Inferior. His inferior. His subordinate is the word. I'm subordinate. subordinate. Not yeah. inferior. <laughs> you don't call by him your inferior. My inferior. It's like calling a waiter garçon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inferior. Uh, Bring me the check. <laughs> uh, excuse me. So anyway, me at the restaurant and the headless woman (laughs) sitting at the end quietly. (laughs) That's fine. That scene is so relatable. I said everything I needed to say, but that's all set up in the beginning of the film as well. In the scene that Ben is talking about here, Mm -hmm. and she's not mute. She has her tongue. I love that. Right there. She's right there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that fan is a fanon. Oh hell yeah! I I love that relationship between the woman who works for Lola Duenas, mm-hmm. the Treasury Minister's wife, because she tells Zama she's not mute, even though she never speaks. So you kind of think that backstage, 
Lola Duenas and this woman, they have, like, private conversations. Right. It's just that she doesn't want to talk to Zama. Yeah. And it makes me think about, like, the elliptical nature to a lot of these films. Like, there are whole pieces of the puzzle that we are not getting access to. It sort of, like, reinforces the subjectivity. Yeah. And it also just reinforces how fucking pitiful and what a loser Zama is. That yeah. The, even, like, the people that he is, like, trying so hard to distance himself from because he has mm-hmm. the most in common with them, obviously, apart from, like, his privilege and his stature and that he is, right. he's a functionary for the crown, my point is, like, he is trying so hard to run away from his own heritage mm-hmm. that he is not wanted by the sophisticates and he is not wanted by the native people either. Yeah. I like the scene when he comes back and, um, what's the the woman's name? Uh, it starts with an M. Malumba, Malumba. It's where she like he shows up and he's like, "Aren't you going to announce me?" And yes, and she just she doesn't. She walks and she's and then the woman he wants to hook up with is just hooking up with another. Yeah, she allows him to be cucked. He allows she allows him to be cucked. It's great. And the in the initials. Oh, you're firing up Siri over there. That was an accident. Oops. In the initial scene when he goes in there. When he keeps backing himself up, mm-hmm. like in and until he's like among the horses, yes. And then that shot of him, you just see he's framed perfectly, just in between the horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. And then I think one of the horses like moves their head to like sort of in disgust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, isn't there the horse looking right at him too? Yeah, that's the one. That so he's basically when, when, among when ben, the animals. When Ben said he was the horse that Vicuña Porto sleeps on, the horse I was referring to is the one who's just like staring at him. The one yeah. shot of yeah. angry. As What's, good as the acting in War Horse. It's I know. Just as good. Best supporting horse in <laughs> Best Zama. supporting horse. Mm. So mm. I want to share something that Martel <laughs> mentioned in this Q&A because I think it's very instructive to how she employs sound. I, I mean, it's like a surround sound. It is she, she employs the foreground, background, and middle ground of her soundtrack, of her mm-hmm. mix, the same way that filmmakers do visually when they're thinking about shot composition. So she said something, and it honestly took me the second Q&A to fully understand what she was saying because the translation was not very good. She took a self. She looked like a smartphone. Uh, remember the oh, first yeah. yeah. Oh, it didn't work. So she took a smooth. Okay, I just need to get through this. I'm not trying to shut anybody up, but you know how like listen. She, you know how like she couldn't mira. get mira. You know how like she couldn't get through it. I'm just gonna just let me let's let me explain this. Fine. So I'll she's got an iPhone. Sh- she's got an. <laughs> Fine, I'll doodle. Ben is doodling. So she has I'm doodling what he's describing. A, nice. Is that a dick? so no, so in her left hand problem. in her left hand. Lucrecia is holding an iPhone with the flashlight. Whose iPhone on. did she borrow? She was like, she I need a phone. She borrowed um, KJ Ralph, who is the programmer. Oh, there. right. I thought it was like a random audience member. No. Give uh, me your phone. I think the second night it might have been. But so she has she has an iPhone. <laughs> she has the flashlight on. And she has a bottle of water. She takes the iPhone and the light and she presses it right up against the water bottle. She says, the iPhone and the light, that is the screen this theater here, or this water bottle here, this is the theater. The water is the sound. And what she's basically saying is it gives the illusion of you are inside of the screen, inside of the iPhone, but that is actually outside of the chamber that you are in. Right. She basically explains that sound is what gives you the experiential, all-encompassing environment right. of a film, what you are soaking in, what you're washing in. Mm-hmm. So that's her approach to sound in the movies. Is like that. Mm. It is the water in the water bottle, and the light on the phone is the screen. And it's and together they create this magic trick. It's apocryphal, but people have said she doesn't come to set with a shallow. She comes to set with a 
list of sounds. Yeah, we've heard, like they that people say that she works out her she doesn't storyboard, but she mm-hmm. does work out her soundscapes yep. before coming in. That's so crazy. And in um like I just rewatched La Cienega last night and every single scene there is just this humming of crickets, of grasshoppers, of wind sweeping through trees, of just this sort of just like a, a sort of like an underlying drone to everything. And all the, like, if someone is pouring wine into a glass, it sounds like it's keyed up too high. When someone yeah. drops an ice cube into it, it clinks in a way that feels unnatural. Yeah. But today, when I was taking a break from work and I was, like, walking into my living room, I had both my windows open. So I've, I've got, like, palm trees outside my house. Like, I can hear the wind going oh, through the palm trees. Brag. It is a bit of a brag. Wow. So, so I can, so I walk into the living room and... I hear all of the, all of these noises from the natural yeah. world, and then I pour myself a cup of coffee, and it is so fucking loud. And it made me think about how, like, it is like her use of sound is radical, and that it is sort of no one else does it the way that she does. But I think that I think that Do that's it. part of what lends a verisimilitude to her films is that like we, I gotta piss. We basically take. <laughs> All of the sounds around us for granted, and when you watch like a Hollywood film, and it's still, it, that's actually kind of perverse. Like, it, yeah, it, it, and it's a warping of reality. It's really weird. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And yeah. so, what she's really doing is just giving you a certainly heightened version because she's a stylist, right. but just a heightened version of the sound immersion we are in every single moment of our day. I feel yeah. like think her- about when you're driving your car, like the yeah. sounds of your engine. You know, mm-hmm. it becomes white noise. But if I'm going to film that. I can't not have it, Correct. even though it becomes white noise in the car. You have to include it for mm-hmm. it to be truthful. Yeah. Something, there's a quote I think about a lot when I make movies myself. I'm a filmmaker, everyone. A filmmaker. Wow, oh, brag. And I write. Ben Autorempi. Um, wow. Israel Esquire Jr. I don't remember who said it, but it's someone important. I'm sorry, whoever you are, if you're listening. Wow. Paul Schrader, <laughs> or whoever you are. Oh. Um, someone said, you know, you do it with a line of dialogue if you can't do it with a visual. Paul Shreddy, do it with a line of coke. <laughs> oh! And if you can't do it... No, it's... And if you can't do it with a visual, you should do it with sound effect. And, like, I'm quoting it wrong, but a sound effect is the top of the pyramid in the informational directory system. Yeah. That, like, the sound effect is the top mm-hmm. delivery system. I like that. And, and with Martel, she is such a sculptor of environments. Mm-hmm. And it, a lot of it is through physicality. A lot of it is through uh, the way that bodies operate and the mm-hmm. way that environments operate with the human subjects. <laughs> Obviously, sound is an even bigger part of it, I think. And she creates the sense of off-screen drama. Like, j- just that yeah. this, this, a character entering into a space, they are already not on their own turf. Because the sound has such a dominance Mm -hmm. in the scene. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of her films, uh, but let me rephrase, I think a lot of the tensions in her films are between characters and their environments, or characters between characters, and the environment sort of creates this weird tone for the whole thing as well. Like, I think about in La Cienega, because I was just watching it, but, like, there's just all, like... That whole movie is chaos. Like, there's, like, 20 characters we're supposed to keep track of. All of their relationships are very murky. Mm-hmm. We're like, all right, is it, like, incestual? Like, do they hate each other? Like, right. I love the Mercedes Moran character so much, Mecha. How she's, like, she just, like, talks so much shit about everybody. Um, 
anyway, that, that's a side thing. But um, there's just something, there's something about that house and there's something about the, all the different layers of sound going on that just reinforce this idea of like inherent danger and chaos mm-hmm. to the proceedings. Like everything feels very dangerous and loaded and charged. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the sound. And then a lot of mm-hmm. it has to do with the framing too, which is, we've talked about the headless woman. She does this in all her movies. It's just mm-hmm. that the headless woman, I think is like the most sharp and oblique. Yeah. But the way that she communicates, um, what is going unsaid between characters is so potent. Um, I think about a moment in La Cienega when the kids are like up in the, in the woods and one of the boys is like, sees that someone is approaching like through like the knotted trees and all we see are like their legs and body and we can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. Uh And none of this is said. It is just like all the way that Martel is framing the bodies in this mass of this clump of trees. Like she's using the trees to obscure this body as much as possible and then it goes back to the boy who is interpreting this as is this a friend or is this someone that i want to fuck and i don't understand those feelings inside my body Mm -hmm. so when he does understand that it's a little girl he runs away right like he's waiting until he really knows what he's working with Mm -hmm. but it becomes like weird and subconscious yeah anyway i've just been talking a lot we haven't talked about holy girl i know i want to bring up just the open like the opening of Holy Girl, which drops you literally mid-scene. And, like, that movie is an, an example of her, like, forcing you to play catch-up. Yeah. The, the whole time. Yes. It's just the girl singing. Oh. And then the, it's the, the, the chorus. And it's the titular Holy Girl with her friend. And they're just, like, chatting and gossiping. And you're just like, okay, you're in the scene. You're in the movie. Here, There's here. no real, like, intro or opening yeah. or, like, any setup. You're like, oh, okay, this is we're, we're in. She does And you're for, you play catch up. It works on the front end and the back end. Like she really denies you the resolve of how a scene is supposed to come to a, a nice pat conclusion. Mm-hmm. And in the Holy Girl in the ending she does that. But I I oh, I've yeah. spent a lot of time thinking about this cuz I've been thinking about her so much <laughs> lately. When I first sort of like dipped my toes back into the Martell pool here last month when I watched the nice. Woman, thank you so much. I was like she is a filmmaker who is into withholding. Like she is a filmmaker Mm -hmm. who is into denial. I don't actually think that's what it is. It's just that she's not interested in telling her stories in this sort of clinical, prescriptive, classic Hollywood style. Like I was saying earlier, visually, like she does not care about an establishing shot and then cutting in closer as it goes. Like she's not interested in telling stories that way because it's inherently artificial. Yeah. Like she is painterly in a way because the way that she puts bodies in in her frame, like she, it's just, it, it's very expressive. And that automatically makes me think of the word like painterly. Um, like she has, she, in, rather than saying, I am in service of cinematic language. I am in control of my story. I am in control of my subjects. I am in control of my environment. I'm going to present this how I want to present it. Establishing shots be damned. Mm-hmm. Unlike Zama, who's not in control. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, ultimately it's not about withholding. Yeah. It's a complete, Dis- I mean, she's not even speaking in the same language. She's not interested in it. Yeah. Um, Something that I wanted to bring up. And I'm yes. glad that you said that because now I remember. I want to bring her up. I want to talk about Claire Denis a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Um, in the In the contrast of their methods, um, the thing that I love about Claire Denis is a lot of times the conflict is not 
on the page in the script the conflict is in the editing and that's the only place it occurs and Mm -hmm. it's the juxtaposition of images that creates conflict as you watch it and lucrecia Lucrecia. does something similar in that a lot of times there is not conflict on the page but where she does it is in the Mm -hmm. Mm mise-en-scene yes and it's not in the cut but it is in who is where in the frame and how we view them literally how we see them that like shows power dynamics and shows people's relationships to each other it's all about spatial yeah the way that zama is dwarfed by the indigenous women who are doing their mud bath and the way that he is dwarfed by and then later then later at the hotel too Mm -hmm. yes i love that when they're like the woman Uh, that he had a child with and she's like I'm not your wife. You yes. can't tell me what to do. Oh, yeah. Give me a shirt. And she's and like, he's like, shut up. There's like half of him in the frame and she's fully there. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, no. <laughs> no. When he's, living at the, when he's living at the haunted termite hut. Mm-hmm. But, okay, but this is the thing. I, by the way, 100%. Totally agree with everything you said about Thank Jimmy. you. And wow. About conflict That's and the about smartest tension. thing I've ever said on this podcast. Well, Congratulations. Maybe we should get Lucrecia on the horn to hear that. Or Thank Claire, you. ring, ring. Ring, ring. She's busy making a space movie. But I do I do want to talk about editing in Lucrecia's film, though, because in La Cienega, I think maybe more than her other films, like, there is more cutting, like, in, in inside of the scenes that is building, like, a, a rhythm. But for me, her editing is important in the way that she is basically building up potential energy, the way she's building up dread. And... It's how she chooses to leave one scene and go into another, which is obviously true about all editing. But the fact that she, I'll I'll give the example I gave earlier. So we ha- we see Lucci, the little boy, at gunpoint, and then we cut to a scene of nature, and then we hear the gunshots, and we don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. And this happens if you like think about this in La Cienega as well, when all those boys have the machetes and they're like hacking into the water, or in the headless woman, like anytime she finally gets a clear understanding of where she is, then we go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Like again, it's not about it's not about denial as much as it is about disorientation. And by and bringing it back, bringing it back. She's able to just like build up this arsenal, like this stockpile of dread by by leaving scenes when you don't expect to and by mm-hmm. having mysteries at the end of every single thread in the story. Or like in Zama. In Zama, it is a lack of resolve. It's a lack of closure. He never gets the answer he wants. And so we leave a scene that in another movie, would, if in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, Zama would go sit with the governor and the governor would be like, Look, I haven't written it yet, but I'm going to write it, and don't you worry about it. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, instead, the governor like just talks right past me. He's like, I'm playing dice right now. Have you seen mm. the ears of Acuna Porto? Yeah. Like, who's the... I'm confused, because the governor looks completely different than in the llama scene. In the llama scene, he has that weird eye twitch and nail polish, but then you see him with the ears and playing dice... It's the same guy. I mean, I think he just has a flair for the dramatic with the nail polish and with the ears. He looks like a different person. I think it's the same. It must be. I, I mean, mean, he's yeah. the he's the he's governor in both. I don't know. Like, the one scene, he has, like, weird eye twitch and he nail polish. And then Zama has nail polish at one yes. point. Well, it, it's their, they're putting pig on, or lipstick on a pig. Like, oh. Sarah Palin. I know it sucks. I thought when I was watching the movie, that's where my head went. I'm like, no, don't say it on the podcast, Sarah Palin, and it just slipped out. But they're <laughs> like all of their wigs, Sarah all of their Palin. wigs, all like the way that they're dressing up the servants. It's all in service of this illusion of sophistication mm-hmm. of like a continental European flair. Mm-hmm. And 
this is where Aguirre the Wrath of God comes yeah. in because it's nice. the same thing. There's no conquering the wilderness. There's no conquering a land that doesn't belong the to you. the woman in the cab, uh-huh. the slaves are carrying through the fucking mountains. Yeah. The and- is that the Andes? The Andes, I'm yeah. I'm not that- smart. I'm sorry. It's the Andes. That opening shot. <gasps> he can't read a book, but he can read a map. The Andes. down... The MBs are very big on geography. I <laughs> I thought about uh, Aguirre in this film pretty quickly. And the reason why, like, I wasn't even, like, delving into too much of the psychology in Aguirre. It also applies there, too. Right. Especially the way that, like, we go into the heart of darkness at the end. Mm-hmm. But all I thought, like, I'm, I'm, so my point was, like, I'm not trying to sound smart. The only thing I was thinking about that made me think of Aguirre is the chicken who oh. falls off the mountain oh. in the cage and it's just this idea that like you cannot conquer what does not belong to you mm-hmm. and that idea comes forward again and again and again in zama yeah. uh-huh. both in the costume and then also just in like the animals who are co- who are always in the frame mm-hmm. um, monkeys chittering monkeys chittering love <laughs> monkeys chittering um i want to talk about uh what one of the last shots of uh, Sama mm-hmm. is uh, him with his rotting stumps oh, yeah. in the boat. Against Oof. the, the river of the green moss. second river. Mm. <laughs> it's, and it's such a good shot. And it's the most, like, it's just so, like, primal is the word yes. I'm looking for, I guess. But peaceful, too. It is. And it's just, like, it's the, it's, the co- it's the entire joke of the movie mm-hmm. in one shot. And it's just, like, he's... His hands have been removed. Shove your stumps in the sand. He's possibly bleeding out. He's pale and gray and sick. Grizzled. Look at that beard. And he's he doesn't have a beard earlier. And around him is this river of moss and g- g- bright green. Birth and life. It's just. It's a big cosmic joke. It's all one big cosmic joke that he will never be in control of that. Mm-hmm. And, and you you get the idea, though, that he learns at the end. Like, this isn't a movie where the character doesn't change. Mm-hmm. He changes. He still loses in the end yeah. because we all lose in the game of life. But it's that moment that I mentioned earlier when Vicuña Porto and his gang, they're like, take us to the coconuts, which are like the geodes, mm-hmm. right? And, and he's it, like, they're worthless. Like, they're worthless. There are none. And they're like, no, liar. Like, mm-hmm. you have to tell us. And he's like... I am da- I am killing your hopes. I'm doing you the thing. Or it's like, I am doing you the favor that no one did to me. I'm saying no to your hopes. Mm-hmm. So he does learn by the end. Like, it's all, like, it's all futile. It's all, yeah, it's yeah. all bullshit. It's all Work hard, serve the crown. Maybe one day you too will live in a termite hut. Yeah. Which is my other favorite cut in the movie. So, the- so, so, so Zama has been kicked out of his royal apartment. His inferior uh, has been instructed to take it over as an office Mm -hmm. so then zama has to like go back and like take a meeting in his former residence meanwhile he's living in a a uh termite infested hut that is haunted or has something really terrible and hellish going on so much so that like the natives don't go in there yeah he like requests a lock from the hotel owner at some point and they're like no one's coming in there like don't worry (laughs) about it but he he's sitting in his former residence now the office of his uh inferior and the inferior has ordered like a nice fish lunch mm-hmm. to the house. And so he opens it up, he starts eating, and Zama is just like watching him eat this fish. And then we cut from that to this gaping hole in Zama's own apartment that is black as night <laughs> and teeming with thousands of termites. Uh-huh. And someone just like 
poking at the rotting wall. And it just, it, it's everything. It's like, it's where Zama, it's like this whole contrast of like where Zama thought all this work was going to get him Mm -hmm. versus where it has landed him. Yeah. It's that thing. It's so Ben's metaphor for the movie is like, why don't you say it? Um, that Zama is a creative exec at a motion picture studio and he's in the middle management and he'll never get what he wants. And I think we all know that we've all worked at production companies or studios mm-hmm. at certain parts of our careers. And we know there are those people who are lifers. Yep. They've been there forever. And it's not that they're not respected by the upper management, but they're not going to do them any favors. They're just going to continue to take advantage of them because yeah. they know that they're that they will settle for it. Yep. And that ultimately, even if they're unhappy, they'll keep grinding out the work. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's fucked it's up. It's fucked up. I, so it upsets I, me. Never me work in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think that the movie is a Hollywood metaphor. Um, I do. I don't. I mean, I... You think Lucrecia purposely is... No, I don't know if it's purposeful. No, bro, oh, no, no, but it, no, 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 but no. It's there. It's totally way. there. But I'm I just saying, like, I don't think you can fully read it into every single thing that happens. Well, down to my yeah. favorite element of the movie, which is that there's this guy, <laughs> the guy haranguing him for notes on his script <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. Read my notes. Give read me coverage. Coverage. Give me coverage. I just love the number of times <laughs> the governor says, uh, uh, what, uh, Libre? Libre? Libro. 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 In that scene, he just keeps saying the word book like 8,000 times. Like, Libro. Libro. I like when, when Zama finally writes the report. After he tells the, the writer, like, no one's interested in your report! And then he goes to sit on the governor, and the governor's like, where's the report? Like, <laughs> Zama has no control over his situation. He has no authority in his situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. this guy works for Zama. Zama tells him one thing, and then the guy that he works for is like, no, I need, that's the one thing I need. Yeah. But when Zama finally delivers the report, and he's like, mmm, so scathing. He's like, you really have a sharp pen. Mm-hmm. And then Zama's like, can I get the letter now? <laughs> and the letter is a request to the king of Spain for Zama to get a transfer to Lerma. 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 He just wants to get out. And then that's the moment when he's like, do you have the letter yet? Pause. What letter? Mm-hmm. After, a- after he's been like, Zama, you are so good. What a sharp pen you have. Thank you for doing this work. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I haven't. No, there's no quid pro quo. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. Do you see how many papers I have? How many ears I have on my desk? Yep. I can't get around so to that. So many ears. So many ears. I like when it shifts. The only time in the movie it shifts to someone to else's perspective. perspective. And he's just admiring the ears. And he goes to like, touch he go, the he ears. Go, Should I touch them? And then, I he, touch the ears? and then he does. So I loved that even more the second time because I, it, I do think that it is a break from Zama's perspective. But we're the perspective. The shot is a POV from like where Zama Zama's is watching so Zama, that guy. Zama is probably imagining. I think it really gets into the insanity of the character. I think it's a mm-hmm. hinge moment for oh, that, that, where he's putting <laughs> Zama. It's Zama putting, what putting that words in that guy's mouth. Yeah, okay, that's hysterical if you read it that way. <laughs> yeah, I Jeez. love that. Oh, I'm getting oh. you sick. Well, I was already sick. Everyone is dying. Sick. Well, yeah, <laughs> totally on Do you want the, to live? The crazy no. episode. <laughs> no that would have been great like uh just no. sama opens his eyes straight into frame no yeah he should do a director camera address like agire does at the end of wrath i want to bring up the music in the film which lucrecia talked about in the q a first was like i don't really want to talk about it because i don't just want to parrot what she said but like as we mentioned earlier 
We don't know what we're talking about when it comes to Martell. She does. It's so true. We don't know shit. We don't know shit. I don't know anything. We do not know shit. I've never known anything. <laughs> well, you can't. You don't know how to read. Once you learn how to read, that's all going to change. You're going yeah, to crack. Up, you're going to crack open a book. You're going to crack open some ideas. You're going to crack this whole thing open. You wow. know what cures illiteracy in gay men? Harry Potter. <laughs> that's okay. It's not Lucretia. It was a joke. I just wanted to shit on Harry Potter, but I like it a lot. Should we cut that joke? It's an I love Harry Potter. I know. I love the books. I don't like the movies. I love the movies. I love them. So the music in Zama. Basically, I'm just shitty on myself. The music in Zama is this crazy, like, seaside breeze, like, do, 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 almost like a little luau. And Martel said that she chose music like Miami, like almost like sort of not salsa music, but sort of like that that island paradise type mm-hmm. of light. And it's from ukulele. the 50s, right? Music yeah. from the period of when the book was written. Yes. Right. Not the period when it takes place. Exactly. Yeah. So the music is like 1950s mm-hmm. and the movie takes place in the, 17, the late 1700s. But it's this idea of like paradise. Like it is conjuring up this more peaceful place that yeah. Zama eventually wants to go to. And which I think you can pick up without knowing the specifics yeah. that she gave us. And now, but now we know for sure what the music does. It is so um, upsetting and, and damning, and, and and like life is one big futile joke that she plays the music over the end of the film. Yes, yeah. When he is in his boat, floating away through the marsh. The second time, with two stumps, he's handless, <laughs> and he's in the boat with the boy, and and we assume his mother, and we we don't know where he's going. Like shove your stumps in the sand. He's not going, but he's like not going back to Paraguay. Like he's not going back to that port. We don't know. We don't know where he's going. He's not going to Lerma. The second time I watched it, the the score plays like the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's just like it 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 makes it a comedy. It really does. does. That music. Well, think about really worked on that level the second time I watched it. I love that. Think about every like scene Zama has between other functionaries, the governor, the natives, where he's just like staring them down. And imagine the do 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 bum 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 bum. Can't wait for the Larry David English remake. Yes! Oh my god! Yes. Seriously though, like that's the humor here. That's the realm of. I'm imagining the the face app image of Sama smiling. Hello. Can we rank? Because I'm fading. Oh no! I know. No, I'm not fading. Oh, I am. I've I've been faded for twenty minutes. <laughs> Is Wait. this episode almost over? Yeah. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? We haven't even cracked half the topics I wanted to get into. Oh, oh well. <laughs> well let's do a ranking. I mean Oh well. Sorry. <laughs> Let's I'm ranking and I'm ill. Ill. I need to go home and take a night quill. I was ill last year or last episode, and we did two hours. That's because all right, yeah, and I said like four things. <laughs> <laughs> well. Wait, I did not know we were tasked to rank the Lucretia films. I said I tweet, I texted it. In the group. All right, well I'll go last. Ben, I'm ready. Ben, you can go first. Number four. Wait, oh my god, I'm very stressed. <laughs> <laughs> La Cienega. Number three, The Headless Woman. Number two, Sama. Number one, The Holy Girl. Nice. Number four. Nice. Oh, wait, Brandon, do you want, are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, go for it. Wow. I thought you might need a little more prep time. Well, there's only four films. 
And I just remember what I ranked them in Letterboxd. It's pretty easy. Oh, there you go. Four. They're all great. They're all four or higher. Mm -hmm. All with hearts. Actually, Last Siena Guy didn't give a heart. Anyway, um, blasphemy. I'm going to cut your chest with a broken wine glass. Oh, my God. Uh, No, I'm going to push you into (laughs) a pile of broken wine glasses. Oh, my God. Wait, your number one was Holy Girl? Yeah. My number four is Holy Girl. Uh, Three is Last Siena Guy. Two is Headless Woman. One is... I go number four, the holy girl, number three, the headless woman, number two, La Cienega, and number one is Shama. Nice. I would like to, and and this is sort of, we were talking before the mic about how the Lucrecia Martel page on They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? Mm -hmm. References the work of a man. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a commenter, someone who's like... The only comment. Yeah, it's like, check out the work of that man. Yes. But I do want to talk about something that she said the other day, because I, probably because she had (laughs) mentioned it that my head went here. But when I was watching La Cienega last night, I was like, this feels to me like her Boogie Nights. You know, like she and, and she was thinking she was talking about how you could talk about you could compare her to David Lynch. You could mm-hmm. compare her to Paul Thomas Anderson and that she would prefer to be compared to Paul Thomas. Anderson. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I really think that La Cienega, just like Boogie Nights and Magnolia, captured that certain feeling that defines them as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. even though they never really went back to making that type of messy, sprawling ensemble picture ever again. Yeah. And also that like they're just leaving everything on the field. Mm-hmm. Like she ha- she employs more camera movement in La Cienega than I think she does in her later three films. Yeah. Like she really is is trying everything out. Mm-hmm. And it's all d- totally distinct and I think that it all pieces together in a way that is of intelligent design. I don't yeah. think that it's messy because she doesn't know she doesn't have a firm hand on the camera but you move on to a movie like the headless woman Mm -hmm. and think about like when you're accustomed to seeing a certain type of paul thomas anderson picture and then you move into like the master Uh and then suddenly everything becomes even more elliptical Mm -hmm. and even more subjective and focused on um almost obliquely on a character situation the filmmaker is denying you all of the obvious markers of a three-act structure of a typical character arc, and by doing so, burrows you that much deeper into the character's brain and soul and heart. Mm-hmm. And then you get a movie like Zama, which I think is like her inherent vice in a way. Like she's returning to a type of ensemble picture, but is utilizing With everything. It's everything altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wanted to bring up Inherent Vice, and you did. Yes, and that's what it was. Wow. You got there. What was your number two? Sama. Sama! Also, I also... It's no mis... You know, Martel is able to exist in a world without traditional narrative. Mm-hmm. But my two favorite films of hers are the ones that skew closer <laughs> to a narrative, if Bless I'm being you. honest. Bless you! Like, The Headless Woman is yeah. her most experimental, mm-hmm. probably her most radical work. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, I think you have to admire that more, that she's completely letting go of all traditional elements of yeah. narrative uh, storytelling. Yeah. But La Cienega and Zama both have the most humor and have the most story. And I don't think that's why I like them more. But as I look at my choices, I do like the movies that have a little bit firmer grasp. Like like the... On reality. Well, Zama doesn't necessarily have a thick, uh, tight grip on reality. And and in La Cienega, all the characters, their world is disappearing around them, and they just are staying in bed about it. Yeah. There's, I don't know. 
someone else I, say something. I know, I know what you mean. Like they're the most. There's the there's the most narrative. In yeah. those. It, but okay. she's still like she's still I hate narrative. Okay. I just do. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's like to say that. I'm not La- saying that to be combative. No, I just... understand. But like to say that La Cienega is a narrative-driven film is ridiculous. Well, no, it's none, just that none of the hers compared though. to compared to the headless woman. It is, and there's the Holy Girl has like narrative. a very simple dynamic. Yeah. It's what's fun about. I think Holy Girl is her most narrative film. I, I actually think that might be true. I think I might agree with that. Um, it's it's the most straight through line story for me. It's like I guess what I mean by narrative is that the characters are like growing and changing on screen. Mm. Like it, Hol- Hol- that happens in Holy Girl. Well, but in, in Holy Girl, it's like we have the inciting incident, which is that this older man. I'm thinking of plot, right? But let me just say what I mean. Like this older man presses his presses his crotch, sexually assaults in a way mm-hmm. uh, our fourteen year old protagonist, and then every character has an mo. <laughs> and Martell is basically exploring how these characters' competing agendas work against one another, and how the crucible that they're all in in this hotel mm-hmm. is just ratcheting up. Uh, every character's assumptions about every other character because they're in such close proximity and yet they know so little about each other. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It kind of does have those plot that like it's working up towards this big show at the end. And And then we cut away. Yeah. It like has the most activity. Yeah. In a way, the yes. most the most happened. Well, I mean, Sama. La Cienega, they're like every single scene like is fraught with drama. I think that's not activity. Yeah, I know. There's like a lot of running around in La Cienega. <laughs> like, there's like fucking the two kids girls in the woods. at the end of Holy Girl. Like, have changed so much over the course of the movie, but they don't even like realize it yet. Well, similar the to the pool. way that, that well, I think Martel movies really open themselves up to you a day or two after, yeah, because you can't stop thinking about them. Mm-hmm. That's how it was with Holy Girl. I love the Holy Girl. It's great. Ben and I saw an amazing 35 mm I like that. flawless because no one watches it, probably. It just sits in a cave. That's right. By the way, I like that. There's one copy, a theremin, which is like, which is Lucrecia Martel in a moment there. It's also, so it's the theremin. Drana, do you want to talk about it? I just want to make the sound it makes. Wow. Because it makes, not the sound it it makes. makes me think about in La Cienega when the two girls are behind the the fan and they're speaking through the fan. Oh, like, yeah. Martel's just like putting shit in yeah. the frame that's going to allow us to play even more yeah. with experimental sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the theremin. I, I do want to mention. How does it work? I don't remember. Do you think Bartel deeply researched it? Someone asked her a question. Someone asked her a question about it at the Holy Girl screening, and she was like, she kind of laughed because she was like, "I've been found out." Like she's like, "I just thought it was cool." Oh no! She basically. I think she's made like a self-deprecating remark. Like she actually doesn't understand how it works at all. She just like put it in the movie because she knew that the sound was fucking cool. cool. It's so cool and so distinct to the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, but in all of Martel's movies, like if you were to reach through the screen, even though the sound and the image are two different things, and just like move your hand through it, it'd be like moving your hand through wind chimes, like Mm -hmm. but of ambient jungle noises. (laughs) Um, So I guess we're wrapping up. So I'll just I'll just say one other element I love about La Cienega is the relationship between the one daughter and then the daughter of the uh, the maid. I don't remember. I don't remember either. I guess we should have rewatched watched La Cienega. It's like, 
I loved La Cienega from the first time I saw it, but especially after rewatching it last night, I'm like, you're I, lit I'm on lit La, La Cienega. I could watch this every single fucking night, and I could go to bed with the just the soundscape in my ears. It's amazing. The scraping and it's zombies. so funny. So Mer- Mercedes Moran, who plays the mother and the holy girl, plays Mecha. Um, like you know the one the, the woman with the curly hair and the sunglasses who's just mm-hmm. like oh so that I guess that's where the towels went when she blamed the maid for stealing towels and then mm-hmm. when she like has gashes on her chest like suddenly the towels reappear right. I think she's so acerbic and acidic and hysterical and you don't get any of that in the holy girl like right. she she's this sort of uh, very soothing presence in the mm-hmm. holy girl and I didn't even know it was the same actress until earlier today it's the hair it's the hair it really is the hair she's straightened up for the holy girl the wig do the work but I love I, the there's wig. just the one line I, I just want to mention real quick that I think is so funny, or just like the situation. So in La Cienega, it's this giant like family drama, and we have the people who live like at the house and the people who live in La Cienega, like the town, in, in the swamp. And those folks who like live in the swamp like are less well off, like they're living like a middle class life and everybody living up at the house, we assume are like corrupt governmental bureaucrats who were pushed out. I don't I can't quite remember the exact um, political history of it but these are people who would have been pushed out in like a purge of corrupt Argentinian mm-hmm. bureaucrats so they're no longer working for the government or working for the state um, and now they're just left out to rot so any, anyway that's sort of the dichotomy between the two but before the the one woman drives up with her kids Mercedes Moran uh, or Mecha says to someone like please make sure the kids are here when she gets here because she's just going to want to talk <laughs> <laughs> and then they end up talking and like as soon as they sit down Mecha's like can we get some wine because she's like oh I mean God. they're all the That's adults what I are... say to anyone when you're coming over what that you just want to talk <sighs> it's not my fault that neither of you want to contribute <laughs> I you know I really thought I did all my homework I was ready to talk about the chittering monkeys in Aguirre and I forgot <laughs> to rewatch last again ago because I thought I saw it recently enough but apparently not. All I remember is the kid falling off the fucking no, ladder. Oh, yeah. That fucking ending. That's rough. It's a rough ending. Yeah. I love La Siena Guy. I just didn't rewatch it. I apologize. Un- undeterred by Ben's comment, which I've been, like, begging, in a way, for someone to call me out like that on the microphone. <laughs> um, <Ooh. laughs> no, it's not snide. I'm being serious. There's... I, I feel like Los Angeles is a first feature. To me. It is. It is not at you all. I don't feel that way. It is like straight out of the gate. No one. Else I think makes movies it's like great. This. I do think it's great, but it still feels like a first feature. Did you watch? Where did you watch it? Here at home. Yeah. When I watched it for the, I first, watched it in the theater. I watched it with noise canceling headphones on, and I really think that made a difference because the first time, like I said, the first time I saw it, I loved it. I loved it more for the messiness of it. I wouldn't have told you much about the sound but i was watching it in an apartment in the middle of the afternoon with windows open mm-hmm. so like i you couldn't have this. paid as yeah i couldn't have paid as close attention to I mean, that sound i recognize the sound design oh no i'm just saying from my first time seeing it i it's just like it's just one example it's just so i mean the first film of her career the first shot the first sound mm-hmm. it's just so iconic of mm-hmm. of like what she will eventually yeah. do yeah. with her career so i think you can't count it out yeah. i don't know i, also, I mean no, you're, you're not you're I, not I, counting i think it out, she but. literally makes zero mistakes um as a first filmmaker the way that she explores her scenes is so confident the way that she captures like in this i mean like i said like she edits more internally in scenes yeah. in this film but the way that she 
can have a shot that starts in one place. It starts as a close-up and mm-hmm. at the end ends as a wide. She is in full control of bodies in the frame and what those bodies are in communication with each other about, whether it's burgeoning sexuality, whether it's class, whether it's a more political commentary about the way that the sins of the older generation are passed on to the next generation. And then there are just these intense sensory experiences like the kids hacking with the machetes into the water. It's just like... I guess I shouldn't say she makes literally zero mistakes because I think I gave it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Therefore, it's not a perfect film to me. But it's not flabby. Like, there's no excess. Like, it is distinct. She's speaking in her own language. Mm-hmm. She Everything she does as a filmmaker, it's not like the roots are found in La Cienega. She fucking does it in the first movie. Like, she is, she she is exploring her thing. films with these distinct visual subliminal strategies and then obviously there's the sound mix on another hand but there is there are no growing pains for me like there's... i think there's a lack of refinement in the way she places her camera and it's like it's not quite as like flawlessly uncomfortable to it's me it's not as sharp and i think it's not it just feels like she's still working it out mm-hmm. and i don't like it is what it is, and I like it. I think it's a very For, good movie, but I think she really sharpens like how to disorient the yeah. audience in the Holy Girl. But I, I think this is similar to what we were debating last week about Tully versus Young Adult. That like Young Adult has such a specific point of view on mm-hmm. its character, whereas Tully Marlowe is a little bit more like a wash. And I said that I think it's because. Mavis has every idea of who she is, mm-hmm. and Marlowe is struggling with identity. In this movie, so much of the film is about being <laughs> sweaty and rotting in these scenes with the characters. A sharp approach wouldn't work. It it has to you. It has to be. Um, if you if it's going to be so refined, I think you are actually outside of the decrepit state of these characters. The fact that everyone's just like wallowing. It, the fact that everyone is just like wallowing and melting in the frame. I think that she is. Uh, I think that she is covering her scenes in in atypical ways in La Cienega. But I do think that she is content to just leave her camera in places where you are getting a more traditional medium shot, and. I think that places you there with the characters and also builds the relationships a little bit stronger than it would if we were just getting a shoulder. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that I want the specific strategies of the headless woman. Right. It's just, it. I don't think it achieves what it needs to achieve as well. I think in a way it's like a hangout movie, like everybody wants some. Like a Yeah, I don't like movie. hangout movies either. That's fine, but but that's what she's like doing. not like everybody wants some. Fine. <gasps> it's a good movie. It's a four and a half star film. Nice. Good for you. Nice. Good for you. <laughs> Great. Enjoy it. Watch it again. <laughs> what, what, see it again. One, one fun fact. Now I'm just like making us go long. So I'll just this, I just want to uh, I just want to throw in one fu- another final fun fact from the Q and A, which is that Lucrecia was talking about specificity and she was talking about like basically not settling <laughs> as a filmmaker. Like when you are conjuring environment and sound. And she was saying that the iconic pool in La Cienega, they retiled all oh, of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to get the exact scraping sound that mm-hmm. they wanted. I thought that was so interesting. And watching it again last night, like, without the, like, without the cement blocks in that, like, without it being, like, so drab, like, and, and um, 
it, it feels very uh, confrontational in a way, uh, the space itself. It wouldn't be the same. Like, if it was just, yeah. like, a black and white tile, you don't get any... You don't get the same sense of atmosphere from it, let alone the right sound of the chair scraping. Yeah, wasn't it... Yeah, it wasn't the right uh, tile to get the scrape yeah. sound she wanted. And it's like, you could have done that... You could have done that in uh, for Foley, you right. know? Um, and obviously, I mean, she's got to do a ton of Foley. Right. But I do think that she probably captures more, like, wild sound than most filmmakers do. Probably. I think her sound work is flawless from flawless. the jump. I just think she she had a, a one movie where she needed to work out the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I don't have that issue at all. But let's I'll I'll take Ben's point of view here, and I think he'll agree. One movie to work it out, like Jesus Christ, yeah, like what a genius. She's, what were the gaps between them? Like five years, then like no, it's like years. three, and then four, and then nine. Because she was working on the sci-fi movie. And it fell apart. Oh, is that why? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Did she say that in a Q&A? Or is it, it just it's common knowledge? It is common. Oh. Well, it's nothing common. about... Uh, fun facts about Lucrecia is common. I mean, know. but it's it, just... It, it's it's been it's, written. written. It's written. comment as in film it comments. Been but written upon. Okay. What was the sci-fi movie? I forget, but it was based on a book, I think. That she was going to direct? Yeah, and she was wow. adapting it, and then... She Can it still happen? Couldn't. I want Lucrecia to do a sci-fi movie. I feel like I if Zama made money, maybe they could go back around. You know what's that. wild? So I... Ben, did you go to the Royal on Sunday? Did it make no. money? So I went to the last screening... And there were two screenings in LA happening at 11 a.m. I went in Pasadena. Packed house. Packed house. So I don't know how much money this thing has made. Yeah. I mean... But it felt... One, 150 It was more expensive than that, so... Which I mean, is, definitely. Which is... But, but, I mean, this movie already came out in Argentina. It was nominated for, like, their version of the Oscars. Right. I don't think that... Martel was, and I'm not saying anyone here is saying that, but I don't think Martel was trying to recoup abroad in America. No, you know, but um, I feel like there's more we could say about <laughs> Zama, but I'm not gonna do it because I don't want to be accused of hogging the mic again. I just want a night quill. Oh, <laughs> I just don't have the stamina. Just don't have the stamina. Isn't that? I'm not interested in anything for more than 90 minutes. All right. Do you know why I talk so much on the mic? Why? Because I get excited to talk with my friends whose opinions I want to hear. I've never. No, I I I know you've never felt (laughs) that. I know I know you never felt that. It's actually one of my favorite. one of my favorite things about myself is how much people think I love the sound of my own voice. And the only reason I talk so much is because I'm hoping that the people I'm talking to will say as much back to me. I'm sorry, I do not. Oh, no, that's fine. We talk a lot off the mic. Thank you. I'm just sniffling. I just get tired. (laughs) (laughs) Well... In that case, <laughs> we're running out of sounds. I, oh, has she ever done this one? No. <laughs> well, this has been another sound-filled episode of horses and movies. IMO. This has been the Zama Ep. Wait, reiterate that this is the conclusion of the Horses IMO trilogy. This is the conclusion what, of the Horses IMO trilogy. Now that we've talked about Headless Woman. Now that we've talked about Headless Woman. What is the... No. 
the answer to the central mystery we were trying to understand at the top of our first Horses IMO episode, which is that why did the woman not get out of her car when she hit Lean on Pete? We have finally understood after much, you know, we've all been flexing our journalistic integrity. We've been flipping through the manila envelopes. We've been watching Zapruder tapes. Basically, we were spotlight. Mm -hmm. We did. We, we were the off. It. We spotlighted yeah. it. We listened to the sounds of our own voices because nothing. There's nothing we like more than listening to ourselves speak, mm-hmm. and we have the answer, which is that. Does someone else want to say it? It or? was the headless woman. It was the headless woman. She, she was. was a phone call. She did not get out of the car because she was just so paralyzed by what she might have hit. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to know. Thank God it was just she a horse and not a know. young child you know it was just a horse who honestly wanted to die he wanted to go he asked for it he did run into the street he did so thus concludes horses imo and now we are back to movies imo welcome welcome to movies imo (laughs) we are your favorite film forgets we are here today to talk about (laughs) zama oh god no and uh, you can find us on the what are we talking about next week next week we are talking about how to no Yes, next week we are talking about... How to get away with murder. How to get away with murder. We're doing our first television episode. How to girls at... How, how to, to talk to girls at parties. How to girls at party... How to be Nicole Kidman and, in a bad wig. I'm as honestly a space alien. not sure that it's opening. Yeah, I don't... I mean, this is very well, tentative. When I saw on the schedule today, that's what we're doing next week, I sort of was not sure today. how we were going to see it. Well, the U.S. release date, according to Google, is May 18th. There but, are no showtimes yet. But there are, are no the showtimes. city of L.A. <laughs> I will say this. Can we can we We make... can do first reformed if we have to. By the way, Deadpool uh, two reviews are out. Let's take a look. Oh, can, I've never can we see? Yeah, I don't I don't want It to has that. a sixty nine on Metacritic. I don't want to do this. It's I will never as good as the first. <laughs> which is awesome. I'm coming out as a Deadpool fan. I hate it. This it has been so Movies hot. IMO. You can find <laughs> us on the internet at Movies IMO <laughs> on Twitter. Please uh, find us on the iTunes store. Slap us five stars. Write us a really nice note. Please write us a first letter and then write us a second letter to the king. Um, And in order for us to be able to get out of Paraguay and go to Salta, we are going to need a five-star review. Otherwise, the king's not going to listen. So my name is Daniel Crook, and you can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook. And I think that Chantal Ackerman would be proud of the radical use of space and the way that characters interact in that space. I think she'd be very proud. And I think that John Dealman, I don't know what John Dealman would do. This is the second week in a row. She would murder Don Diego de Sama. She would, she would say no to his hopes from the very beginning and just stick a knife right through his collarbone. That's right. <sighs> I'm Brandon Kirby. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby, and you can find me reading that the Deadpool 2 reviews are better than even Deadpool 1. Thank you. I'm Ben. <laughs> Is this Abby. really going to be it for me? Am I going to get dragged through the fucking, like, I mean, jerk? An og- You're going to get dragged through the water by your neck. Live your life. This is your second week in a row as a resident heterosexual on the I, podcast. I have, I have never come out as a Deadpool fan, but here there I am. Go. I'm sorry. I'm Ben MB. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. Seeing Deadpool 1 was one of the most miserable experiences of my entire life. <laughs> same. I Big enjoyed same. it. Four stars on Letterboxd. I'll never Ooh. see it again, and I won't see a sequel. I can't imagine I would stop this cheap. podcast, bef- like, the whole enterprise before we did a Deadpool episode. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so book club it is if how to get away <laughs> with girls at parties doesn't come out. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. <laughs>